the Bethany Covenant Church Sermon Podcast. We are a multi-generational community in Berlin, Connecticut. Our services are held Sundays at 9.30 a.m., and you can find out more about us at www.bethanycovenant.org. So one summer, friends and I decided to do one last camping trip together, sort of a last hurrah before our senior year. And if you know me, you know that this was a kayaking trip, 15 miles down a river in the Adirondack Mountains. We began paddling in this absolutely beautiful weather, Uh, seven miles down the river, we carry our boats around a dam, and then there's eight more miles to get to our campsite. And it was great. We had this little island in the middle of this rather wide river all to ourselves. But wouldn't you know it, just as we finished setting up our tents, there's this huge flash of light and this huge rumble of thunder, and it starts to pour. Now, it turns out the forecast was wrong, but I know that's not news to anybody who lives here. But we had come prepared for this. So we huddled down inside of our tent and we decide we're just going to wait out the storm. But somewhere around our third round of go fish, Jeff looks up at me and he goes, you know, I don't remember the back of the tent being so shiny. So I turn around and sure enough, the back wall of our tent is just leaking from every seam all the way down the back wall and under our sleeping bags. Now we debated for a while and we eventually decided that We didn't really have the resources to deal with this particular problem. Better a slightly uncomfortable night in the rain making our way back home than a really uncomfortable night in our sopping wet sleeping bags. So after eating a rather lame dinner, we put our now thoroughly soaked tent in the bottom of Jeff and Eric's canoe, and we set out for home just as, of course, the rain finally stopped. Now all was well, if a little bit spooky, until we got to that dam that I mentioned earlier. Because to add insult to injury, that was when the fog set in. Thick, heavy fog. And on the other side of the dam, I kid you not, was Bog Lake. Windy paths through the reeds, a whole bunch of islands, and a ton of tributaries all along the outside. And we couldn't see two feet in front of us. This is about the time, by the way, that we began to freak out. Fog is very disorienting, but especially fog on water. The horizon disappears as the sky and the water tend to blend together. You can feel like you're going in a straight line only to discover that you've actually been going in circles, or worse, slowly arcing in another direction entirely. There's a reason that in the ancient world, Lakes and oceans were grouped together in this one word, the sea. And they were thought of places of evil and chaos. In the book of Daniel, the sea is where the monsters come from. Or in the book of Exodus, the Israelites were trapped between Pharaoh's army and the sea. Even the apostle Paul was shipwrecked in the midst of his missionary journeys. The seas were dangerous places, places that could easily swallow you whole, a demon that threatened to undo the very order of creation itself. It's kind of like in that scripture that was read for us earlier by Peter. Thank you. Wait, was it Jeff? Or Pete? I think it was Peter. It was Peter. 
That day when evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were other boats with him. A furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, that's the back of the boat for you non-nautical folk, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, teacher, don't you care if we drown? Now, in Matthew's version of this story, he writes that they were also in great danger. But even here in Mark, you can hear that there's this note of panic in the disciples' voices. As they wake Jesus, who somehow managed to sleep through all of this, and they were scared. Now, I know that we often think it's the people who really don't understand something that tend to be the ones who are more afraid. But in reality, it's really more often those of us that are clueless that are the unconcerned, and it's the people with the experience that recognize the danger and freak out. So in this story, we have Jesus, the landlubber carpenter, asleep in the back of the boat, while it's the professional fishermen that are freaking out at the ferocity of this particular storm, and they're all worried that they're going to die. See, because the Sea of Galilee is itself not super deep, and because there are these hills surrounding it on all sides, you can kind of see that in this picture. There are certain wind patterns that can funnel and trap air into the lake area, creating sudden and violent storms that would swamp and sink boats, especially the smaller fishing boats. This was not the first time that this would have happened to the fishermen among Jesus' disciples. But that they were panicked is how we know that it was really bad. But Jesus, who was asleep, wasn't exactly an ordinary carpenter, as we're about to see. Jesus got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Peace, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. He said to the disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, Who is this? Even the wind and waves obey him. Okay, so there's clearly more going on here than a clueless carpenter passed out in the back of a boat. It's here that we can start seeing some really strong parallels to the bigger story of Scripture because the real question of this passage is the one that the disciples ask at the end. Who is this Jesus? Chaos and darkness and death, all of those things that are represented by the storm and the waves, obey this person. Who is this? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good. And he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness night. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. So the scriptures say that the world started as darkness, as this formless, chaotic deep. And then suddenly we find that the Spirit of God is hovering over these waters, over the chaos, over the sea. The author of Genesis now goes on to show how God molds and shapes and reorders physical reality to make a space in this formless, chaotic void for life to thrive a place that's not the sea, 
a place that's not the chaos. And then God even goes on to fill the rest of the chaos with life. He fills the seas of the air and the seas of the oceans with more life, and it's called good. And that's only where the Bible starts. Go to the book of Exodus, and again, we find God's people, the Israelites, they're fleeing Egypt, and on one side, they're trapped between Pharaoh's army, and on the other side, the chaos of the sea, and they're honestly not sure which one is worse. All hope seems lost, but then God parts the waters of the sea and allows the Israelites to walk through on dry ground, and not a single one of them gets wet. Death in that moment dies, if you take my meaning. Or go back to the book of Jonah, which has some rather significant parallels to our passage here in Mark. A prophet of God, Jonah, is sent to the pagan city of Nineveh to proclaim God's kingdom. In this case, God's judgment. Here in Mark, Jesus says that we should go to the other side of the lake. Now, what's on the other side of the lake? The cities of Decapolis. It's a 10-city area full of Hellenists. Now, if you remember from a few weeks ago, we talked about the Hellenists just a bit, those who had the Greek culture brought from Alexander the Great. They were not very well liked by the Jews living in that region. And yet Jesus says, let's go to the other side, to the Gentiles, to what? To proclaim the kingdom of God, just like Jonah was told to do. And like Jonah, Jesus and the disciples board a boat. But of course, unlike Jonah, they actually go towards their destination. Whereas Jonah headed in the opposite direction. And like Jonah, Jesus and the disciples get caught in this massive storm. And the prophet in the story falls asleep. But here's where we find another major difference. In Jonah, it's God's anger with Jonah that spurs the storm. And when Jonah tells the sailors who are terrified by the ferocity of the storm, sound familiar, to toss him overboard, the storm immediately ceases. And Jonah is saved from the storm by a large fish. But in Mark, Jesus is woken up by these terrified disciples But instead of jumping overboard, Jesus rebukes the wind and the waves with the words, peace be still. And at his command, the wind and the waves are still. So kind of like in Genesis or in Exodus or like in Psalm 107 where the psalmist writes, some went out to the sea in ships. They were merchants on the mighty waters. They saw the works of the Lord, his wonderful deeds in the deep. For he spoke and stirred up a tempest that lifted high the waves. They mounted up to the heavens and went down to the depths. In their peril, their courage melted away. They reeled and staggered like drunkards. They were at their wits' end. And then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he brought them out of their distress. He stilled the storm to a whisper. The waves of the sea were hushed. They were glad when they grew calm, and he guided them to their desired haven. Or like in the book of Job, where God says, Who shut up the sea behind the doors when it burst forth from the womb? When I made the clouds its garment and wrapped it in thick darkness, where I fixed limits for it and set doors and bars in place. When I said, For you may come this far and no further. Here is where your proud waves halt. 
Okay, so do you hear this? There's this theme that's woven deeply through the scriptures. We hear about this deep, this sea, so regularly because they too lived in times of chaos and uncertainty. When he was exiled by his rebellious son Absalom, King David writes, my soul is downcast within me. Deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. All your waves and breakers have swept over me. Chaos and evil have swept over him in his despair. But then there's this. Because if you're listening to it, each time in all of these stories, someone holds the chaos at bay, that someone is always God. Nobody else is capable of ordering the chaos. Nobody else is able to save others from the wind and the waves of evil and destruction. Later in the psalm, David says, Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. God alone brings peace and life from the chaos. And so the disciples say to Jesus, don't you care that we're about to drown? And Jesus commands the storm to stop and then somewhat rhetorically responds, don't you have any faith? I mean, that's us, right? We're the disciples in this passage. I mean, I know that we've definitely felt like we've been yelling at God for the last year and a half. Don't you care if we get this virus? But even more generally, we all up end up in places where we're surrounded by death and chaos and violence and all of the things that cause us anxiety and anger and shame. And our reaction is almost always one of self-preservation. I don't want to worry about the pandemic or the hurricane or the financial challenge or whatever. Or I'm angry about the pandemic or the hurricane or the financial challenge or whatever. Or I'm fearful of the pandemic or the hurricane or the financial challenge or whatever. See, deep calls to deep for us too, all the time. But it's there that we really need to ask ourselves, wait, who is this Jesus? Because the reality is, is that this Jesus is the only one who can still calm the raging seas inside of us to bring us peace. Now, I know you're probably desperate to know if I made it back from that kayaking trip. Well, it wasn't easy. The truth is that the only reason that we made it out of that fog, the boggy lake, was because we decided to depend solely on our compass and our map. See, we knew that there was a right direction somewhere. We just couldn't physically see it. It's like that old Chinese curse, may you live in interesting times. In times of chaos and discord, it is often hard to know who to believe or what to do. We end up disagreeing a lot. There's conflict everywhere. Tempers get high, and in their anger and shame and anxiety, people say and do things that they end up regretting. Sound familiar? 
But if we have a solid reference point, say outside of ourselves, like a compass and a map, it makes navigating the chaos possible. Since God is the author of creation, since Jesus is our solid rock, since the Spirit is our guide and friend, I think there are at least two main reference points that God gives us to navigate those interesting times. I think we can hear it in this passage in Hebrews. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. By the way, the message version of this reads, let us see how inventive we can be in encouraging love and helping out. Not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Okay. So anchor point number one. Looking backward. Throughout the scriptures, we hear, say God, hear, we hear God say, remember. It's everywhere. It's hard to hit a book or even a chapter sometimes in the Old Testament without hearing God say, remember. In this passage, the author keeps looking at things God has done and says, look at that. This gives us confidence. Looking back is sort of like the compass it helps orient us towards God's faithfulness, God's trustworthiness. It shows us that each time that the interesting times come, God can and will calm the storm and the wind and the waves and the chaos. Do you ever look backward on your life and simply thank God for a time that he may have calmed a storm for you? I mean, maybe it was a simply like a minor squall or a little cloud burst, maybe a thunderstorm or two here and there. But I'd be willing to bet that everyone here, maybe right now, has some pretty major storms. You might say hurricanes in your life. Look back on those times that you know God has been faithful to you, and it can really help you see that God can and will continue to be faithful to you. Remember, remember. So in the power of God's spirit, we can remember that God is faithful and trustworthy. But we can't dwell there. Because whether we like it or not, time keeps moving forward. So, we also have to ask the Spirit to help us look forward. That's where we're going. See, in this passage in Hebrews, the author says, let's hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. Unswervingly. Sort of like when we're driving. We drive where we're looking. You can't drive by looking at the road directly in front of your car all the time. That would be utterly ridiculous because aside from making you completely dizzy, or at least I know it would make me really dizzy, 
It would mean that you'd be constantly swerving back and forth across the road as you tried to avoid every little rock and pebble and bump in the road. And you'd never see anything coming towards you. You're all over the place in that scenario. So instead, when we drive, we're all taught to pick a point down the road somewhere, right? Look at that point, and all the little bumps start to matter a whole lot less. And we go a lot straighter. Now, yes, we have to glance at the road directly in front of us every so often. But our focus remains on the distance, in the place that we want to get to. This is like the map. When we focus on our destination, the path doesn't choose our destination for us. The destination helps us pick our path. So what is our destination? Well, Jesus crossed the lake with a purpose, to get to Decapolis to proclaim the kingdom of God. And as we've been hearing for the last five or six weeks, our purpose is the same, to love God, to love others, to make disciples of all nations, to proclaim the kingdom of God. Because the promise that God has given us is what drives us forward. We are told by scripture that a time is coming when God's victory over the chaos and the darkness and the death will be complete, visibly complete. The destination is the kingdom of God itself in its completeness. Listen to what John writes in the book of Revelation. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among his people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. That sounds like something looking forward to, right? But looking farther ahead, we can see the anger and shame and fear for what they are. They are distractions that only lead to more chaos. They are not part of God's vision for his kingdom. Now, a slight caveat to all of this. I know that in the heat of the moment, when a person is angry or fearful or feeling shame... It's not exactly helpful to just say, calm down, or it'll be okay, or you're fine. I know this from experience. Aside from being a husband and a father, those things are terrible things to say, I also have a diagnosed anxiety condition. I understand that simply being told those things is not helpful. In fact, it usually just makes things worse. I mean, I really do try it every so often just in case it might work this next time but it always makes it worse. So this is where remember and look forward begin to join hands. The more steps of trust we take with God, the more that the building trust will help us look 
farther ahead. Remember and look forward. Remember and look forward. Remember God's faithfulness, the God who calms the winds and the waves, the God who creates order from the chaos, the God who resurrects the dead. And anticipate the day that Jesus comes again when he will calm the wind and the waves and bring everlasting peace to the chaos of our world. Let us be unswerving, unwavering in our trust and our hope, and let us seek to be inventive and creative as we love others who are also going through this chaos and pain. Because God, my friends, is faithful. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. God, as we enter this time to remember who you are and what you have done on our behalf, we also take a moment to anticipate the goodness of who you are and what you are about to do. Lord, we mourn these times of difficulty. For mourning is a duty of this present moment. But we also look with anticipation at what you're doing in this brokenness as you create new and beautiful things. Help us fix our eyes upon you today and in the days ahead, Lord. And may we be unwavering in our commitment to you and to your vision of peace for who we are. It is in your holy and precious and incredible name we pray together today. Amen and amen.